nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it. But it's the blessings of God. And that's what he wants to pour out upon our lives. And that's what he wants us to understand is how his grace, his favor, because really what it is is his favor. His favor is poured out in our lives. You know, as we look at the, in the Bible, we see the example of Joseph. And, and you know, really, <clears throat> I think so often we look at our lives and we look at circumstances and we, we come up with all kinds of excuses why this doesn't work, why that doesn't work, why I am the way I am. And, and uh, I came from a dysfunctional family. And, you know, over the years I've come to this conclusion, we all grew up in dysfunctional families. Joseph, you want to talk about a dysfunctional family? His brothers threw him in a well, they were gonna kill him, and they decided we might as well make something off the deal. And so they sold him into, into slavery. And the reason that they hated him so much was because their, their father loved him so much, because he was a favorite son. You wanna talk about a dysfunctional family. There you have a dysfunctional family. From there he gets sold into slavery, he's in the house of Potiphar, and. Potiphar's wife accuses him of trying to lay with her, and so it happens. He's thrown into the prison. Did nothing wrong. Thrown into prison. In prison, he has some dreams or some visions, or was able to interpret some dreams and visions. And to make a long story short, he becomes second in command of Egypt, the, the most powerful nation in the world at the time. And so he goes from this pit where his brothers threw him, and he ended up, ends up in the palace, second in command of, like I said, the second most, or the most powerful nation at the time, in charge of everything that comes out of that palace, as far as feeding people and so forth, he's in charge of, of everything. But you know, <clears throat> Joseph did nothing to deserve it. It's a favor of God on his life. We can look at our lives and there's things, there's blessings that we experience and we think, how in the world did this happen? It's because of God's blessings in our life. And so, <clears throat> There we have an Old Testament example, but we see, we see examples of God's grace and, and mercy, not just simply in the New Testament, but we see it in the Old Testament as well. And, and if we didn't, there'd be something wrong because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the God that we serve, the New Testament God, is the same God that was served in the Old Testament. The difference is that we have a new covenant established upon better promises, a better covenant. But you know, God hasn't changed. And so what we see in the midst of it is, it's always been God's will. And so <clears throat> God's will from the time of the fall was to bring you and I back into harmony, back into fellowship with him. 
The purpose of the law wasn't to lay a heavy on the, on the Jewish people. It was there to bring them back into harmony, into fellowship with God, because that's what he's always wanted. You know, and so the, the, the commitment that we make to God, the, the decisions that we make, it all evolves around fellowship with Almighty God. And that means that there's, yes, there's effort that we put into it, but it's because we want to have fellowship, we want to have harmony with God. Let's look at um, some passages. Let's look at the Gospel of John. I'm going to start in the first verse, but I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. And so it's John 1, and I'm going to begin in verse 15. And it says, John testified about him and cried out, This is him of whom I said, He that comes after me has priority over me, for he was before me. He takes rank above me, and he existed before I did. He has <clears throat> advanced before me because he is my chief. For out of his fullness, his abundance, we all received all, all had to sh a share, and we were all supplied with one grace after another. Spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, and even favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. And while the law was given through Moses, grace, unearned, undeserved favor, spiritual blessing, and truth came through Jesus Christ. Whew. That's a mouthful. But so good. And it's so true. But you know, I really think one of our greatest hindrances in our walk with God, you know, Hosea says, my people perish or my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Not knowing what Jesus has truly accomplished for us, what he's truly done for us. Because without that knowing, we're still trying to earn it, we're still trying to, to gain it in our, own, in our own strength. And the thing about it is, is <clears throat> You know, it talks about going from favor to favor, gift to gift, blessing to blessing. But you know what? God doesn't force any of it upon us. We have to allow ourselves to be in a position to receive what he's made available to us. And it comes through his life, his death, his resurrection. It's all been made available to us. It's not what we do other than the fact that we cooperate with him. We recognize and acknowledge what Jesus has done for us. And as a result of that, we get to experience it. Here we are on Mother's Day. And uh, how can you not think about Mary, the mother of Jesus, on Mother's Day? And, and what's interesting about Mary here, she becomes the mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but she did absolutely nothing to earn it or to deserve it. It was just the favor of God that was upon her. Let's look in Luke, the first chapter in the, the 27th verse. And, and, and in this, and I'm going to read again from the Amplified, but in here, 
the angel of the Lord says how she's gained favor from God. But you know what? She did nothing to deserve that favor. And oftentimes we look at it and we, we think, <clears throat> I don't deserve the blessings. I don't deserve God's favor. Well, let me just settle that for you right now. You're right. You don't. But it isn't because we've earned it. It isn't because we've deserved it. It's because God has chosen to pour out his favor upon us. Again, let's look at Luke, the first chapter in the 27th verse, and it says, to a girl never, never having been married and a virgin engaged to be married to a man whose name was Joseph, a descendant of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and, she, and said, Hail, O favored one. O favored one. She'd done nothing to earn it. But here the angel of the Lord declares, O favored one, endowed with, endowed with grace. The Lord is with you. Blessed, favored of God, are you before all other women. But when she saw him, she was greatly troubled and disturbed and confused at what he said and kept revolving in her mind what such a greeting might mean. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor, free, spontaneous, absolute favor, loving kindness with God. And listen, you will become pregnant and will give birth to a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his forefather David. And again, she did nothing. Of course, if you read on, you find she says, how can this be? For I've never known a man. And the angel of the Lord says that the Holy Ghost from Most High will come upon you and you conceive a son. And, and what's her response? Let it be unto me. But you know what? If she'd never heard those words, she could have never said, let it be unto me. We look in the Word of God and we see in the Scriptures what God has provided for us and we're able to say, let it be unto me. But you know what? Going back again to what it says in Hosea, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. If we don't know what God's done for us, how do we ever step in and how do we begin to walk in it? You know, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, we have a, the story about Esther. She was a Jewish lady and, and became queen. And... Uh, <clears throat> You know, y'all ought to be so happy that you live today. You ought to be so happy that you're Christians. Because, you know, if you go back in Bible times, and, and it's not a teaching of the Bible, but in Bible times, you find that women were nothing more than property and baby factories. That's about it. They were just 
And in many cultures, that's how it still is today. You go in many parts of this world where Christianity hasn't taken root. Women are simply a possession. They're just simply property. They're just simply something to be used. But thank God, through Jesus Christ, through the Bible, we find favor and we're on an equal plane. You know, the church that I grew up in, in the Bible school that I went to, the men in school could preach. The women could share. Because women couldn't be in the ministry. But it's interesting. In the kingdom of God, there says this, there's neither black or white, there's neither male nor female. You know, we're on an equal plane. God wants to use us for his glory. And so, be thankful for Jesus. But we have this woman, Esther, and, uh, and the reason I got into that was old Kingy had this party. And uh, his, his, his queen was just this beautiful woman and he wanted, to, he wanted to show her off. He wanted her to come in, parade in front of everybody so he could show, you know, what good taste he has. And, and, and she refused to do it. And they said, uh, you know, his advisor says, man, you're, you allow this to go by and we're all in trouble. Our, our wives will think they don't have to do what we tell them to do because your wife didn't do what you told them to do and you're the king. And so he stuck her away someplace and she never came before him again. Lived in exile. And so, but, you know, kingy needs a new queenie. And so he calls in all the virgins of the land so that he could <laughs> interview them. <clears throat> yeah, right. And Esther was one of them. And Esther came in, and really she had everything against her. She came from a poor family. Her parents were dead. Mordecai uh, raised her, her uncle. Uh, she came from a poor family. She's a Jew. Oh, there's, there's a count against you right there. But she came in, nothing that she had done, she came in, she had favor. Above everything else. And the king says, this is the one for me. Well, that's not exactly how he put it, but let's look at Esther chapter 2, verse 15. It says, and when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle uh, Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter to go into the king, she re requested nothing but what Haggai, the king's enoch, had uh, accustomed, the, the custodian of the women advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. So Esther was taken as, as King Agashu, you know, I don't know why they can't have nice names, in this royal place in the 10th month. Anyway, he took her as his queen. But she had done nothing to earn favor. But she obeyed. 
and went. You know, <clears throat> obedience goes a long ways. And we, when we begin to see what God has made available to us, and we, we begin to use what God has made available to us. But you know, sometimes we live off of what we already know. Rather than making the ter- determination, I'm going, to, I'm going to grow, I'm going to be strengthened. You know, because it, it, it requires a decision. You know, we all know what it says in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But you know, <clears throat> we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. In order to hear, you've got a, you've got a purpose to hear. You know, you can be sitting here this morning and not hear because you've not purposed to hear. We've got, a, we've got a purpose to hear and we purpose to hear so that we can take those principles and we can apply them in our lives. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about <clears throat> this this week, you know, um, the high school that I went to Well, let me put it this way. The school I went to had about 200 kids, first through 12th. Uh, My class was 12th. And I, you know, I won't go through my line where I was in the top 10 of my graduating class, but but there are 12 of us in my my graduating class. And and, and in, in, in our school, we had three sports. We had football, we had basketball, and we had track. And all of those were for the guys, you know, being in Minnesota. We kept women where they belonged. They had home ec, <laughs> and they could be a cheerleader. That was it. We had, we had no, no sports for, for women at all, girls at all. But we had, we had those three sports. And, and so uh, I played football, loved football, as you can tell by this magnificent body. You know, I, I played football. And, uh, but you know, I grew up on a farm. And so you, you had, you know, natural strength and so forth. You know, throwing bales and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, so, you know, our, our football team, uh, we were runner-up of the conference my sophomore year. We did terrible my junior year, and we won the conference my, my senior year. You know, and just so you know how good I was, you know, I made all conference my junior and, and senior year. And, uh, you know, thought I, was, thought I was really pretty good. And uh, so I went to junior college and was going to play football. And I realized something. I realized that in six years of junior high football and high school football, I had never been in shape in my entire life. 
Never, never so sore and sick in my life as that first practice. And that's how the whole year went. And I, I love football and I realized something. I didn't like football that much anymore. Because it was, it was extremely painful. But I look back on that and I realized something. Ben Voss was tailback on our, on our football team and Ben only made all-conference senior year. I made it junior and senior year. <laughs> but you know, Ben worked at it. And so both years in junior college, he started, went to Mankato. At that time, it was Mankato State, played football up there, made all-conference, whatever conference that was at that time. But Ben did something. He worked at it. And anybody knows that if you're going to succeed in sports, you've got to work beyond your natural ability because at a certain level, the natural ability will always take you through, but at a certain point, you encounter people that have the same natural ability that you have. The only difference is, is they go beyond that and they take it a step further. And, and we, we can see that in the natural. You know, <clears throat> my football coach was also the track coach, so we had to go out for track. One year, my coach, track coach, he thought, let's put together a second four-by-four team, and so he took me and the other guy that played guard on the football team and a couple other linemen, and, and uh, he gave up on it when he realized we couldn't run around the football field without resting. Doesn't work out too good in a, in a track meet. And our, our, our football coach was the assistant basketball coach. So that meant if you're going to play football, you had to play basketball. And so I played basketball. But I found something out. The quicker you foul, the quicker you get out of the game. The quicker you get out of the game, you can stop running back and forth across that stupid floor. So, so you hear what I'm saying? I, I didn't apply myself. Amen, you, you, you get that impression? I, I didn't apply myself. And so in the spiritual realm, I mean in the, in the athletic realm, if you want to succeed, you've got to apply yourself. In the business realm, if you want to succeed, what do you have to do? You have to apply yourself. I hated school. All I wanted out of school was me, and that's just about all I got out of school. But I look at my grandkids, and they apply themselves. And so they get letters on their report cards that I never saw. Why? Because they applied themselves. But you know, when I found Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I found something that I'd never seen before. You know, you've heard my story that Becky and, Pastor Becky and I were on the verge of a divorce I hated the job I was in. You know, life was not an enjoyable thing. 
And we found Jesus. And when we found Jesus, we applied ourselves. We took the word of God and we began to take that word and we began to apply it in our lives. And as a result of that, things changed. But what's ironic to me is how we just think because we know a couple of things about God, that's the extent that we need to apply ourselves. And I'm not talking about legalism here. I'm talking about relationship. Because if we don't ever communicate with one another, we won't have relationship with one another. If a person that wants to be in football doesn't ever relate to the sport, they'll never achieve within that sport. And we as Christians, if we want to experience the blessings of God in our life, it's not that he's withholding them from us, but we need to apply ourselves so that we can experience what God's made available to us. You know, a year ago, maybe it's two years ago now, I don't remember, went to uh, my 50th class reunion. And uh, I hadn't, hadn't seen people for years. But you know, I felt so out of place because I was happy. I was blessed. My, my three best friends growing up, Pat had just died the year before of cancer. Red had just died a couple of years earlier in an institution in Sioux Falls of complications with the alcoholism that he had dealt with his entire life. Clayton, who uh, had every opportunity in life to succeed that you could ever imagine, his wife had to lead him around because went to Vietnam, got hooked on drugs and cooked too many cells. So here he is, just being led around. Ben the all-conference tailback from Mankato State physically was in tough shape, had had financial problems through the years. His wife was having difficulty. Now, serving God doesn't mean that we're never going to have any difficulties. But you know, in serving God, there's blessing that's involved in it. But if we don't ever pursue it, how are we going to experience 
the abundance of blessings that God's made available to us. I have, I have favor with God. But you know what? So do you. But do you recognize it? Do you acknowledge it? Do you allow the favor of God in your life? But if you don't know what God has made available to you, there's no way for you to appropriate what God's made available to you. Well, everything's against me. You know, reading the Bible is so important because you encounter all of these individuals that had all the potential in the world to fail. But because of the favor of God upon their life, you know, we think of King David and we, we think of, you know, him and his riches and his, his uh, as this great warrior and all of these things. But you know, the interesting thing about David was David, according to his family, they basically saw him as a loser. David was the youngest of the sons. And, and when Saul, King Saul, started messing up and God told Samuel to anoint a new king, and he was sent to the house of Jesse. And he goes to the house of Jesse. You can read it for yourself. It's in, in 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter. And he goes to the house of Jesse and he, he says, uh, let, let me see your sons. And he brings all of his sons in. And they're, he says, now nah, he's not the one. And now nah, he's not the one. And now nah, he's not the one. And now nah, he's not the one. He ran out of sons. He finally says to Jesse, he says, is this all, is this all you got? And he says, oh, no, we got, we got David. But, you know, he's out taking care of the sheep. You know, but, but look, at, look at my oldest son here. Look how tall and handsome he is. And then there's David. He's out taking care of the sheep. He says, bring him in. He brings him in and he's not got the physical stature of his brothers and so forth, but Samuel says, this is the one. And he anoints him with oil and David becomes the king that more than any other king in Israel is remembered today because of his great achievements. You know, even, you know, his, his dysfunction, Jesse sends David to the battlefield where they're battling Goliath to see how his three older brothers are doing because he hasn't heard a report. And so David goes and he takes some cheese and some bread and so forth and you'd think they'd be happy and and, and David basically says, why doesn't somebody do this? Something about this dude who's blaspheming the name of God. And his brother says, what are you doing here anyway? In fact, who's taking care of those few sheep that you're in charge of? I mean, a total put down, total slam. 
Let me tell you something. If, if you're going to determine whether the favor of God is going to be in your life because of past experience, you're going to miss out. There's a point we've got to re rise up and we've got to say, God, your blessings are upon me. I receive them and I choose to walk in them in Jesus' name. We need God's favor in our life. But you know what? So often we're kind of like I was growing up. You know, I, according to standards today, you know, I'm, I, I wouldn't be big enough to play any place on the football field. But in the conference that we were in, playing eight-man football, the conference that we were in, I was a, I was a pretty good-sized guard on offense and tackle on defense. And so I just relied upon my natural ability. But you know what? When it got into real competition, it wasn't enough. I was still a football player. I just wasn't very successful at it. We may have the title of Christian, but I don't simply want the title of Christian. I want to be successful. I want to, yes, amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. When the thunder roars and gives you an amen, you just know you hit the point that time. But I want to be, I want to be successful. And as it says in Joshua 1.8, I want to be, I want to have good success. I want to have success in every area of my life. And that's the promise that's been given to each and every one of us, that we can have good success. Let me read this out of 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, the fifth and sixth verse, and I'm reading it out of the Amplified. Not that we are fit, qualified, or sufficient in ability of ourselves to form, person, to form personal judgments or to claim or count anything as coming from us. But our power, ability, and sufficiency are from God. That's where our sufficiency comes from. It comes from God. It is He who has qualified us, made us to be fit and worthy and sufficient as ministers and dispensers of the new covenant. You know what? <clears throat> A dispenser supplies something. We're, we're to supply something in this world. We're to supply this world with what Jesus has already accomplished. But you know, if I don't have it, I can't give it. <clears throat> you know, we, we've got these pop machines and they dispense pop. You know why? Because that's what we put in them. But you know what's interesting? 
is they periodically have to be refilled. Just because it's a pop dispenser and has a little letters of dot coke on the button you push, doesn't mean that dot coke is gonna continue to come out of there if it's used up. Now you gotta replace it. And you know, that's how it is in our lives. We're to be a dispenser of the goodness of God. But the thing about it is, is we can't give what we don't have. If we've not received, we have nothing to give out to others. It is he who has qualified us, made us fit and worthy and sufficient as ministers and dispensers of the new covenant of salvation through Christ. Not ministers of the letter, that is, of legal written uh, code, but of the spirit. For the code of the laws kill, but the Holy Spirit makes alive. We're to bring life to people. We're to bring, bring life to everything that we're involved in. Not because of circumstances around, but because of what's on the inside of us. Because of who we are. You know, Jesus, when he walked on the earth, and we're to, we're to do the works of Jesus. That's what we're called and commissioned to do as Christians, as believers. We're to do the works of Jesus. And Jesus, he brought life everywhere that he went. One of the examples that we have of this is in, in the Gospel of John in the fifth chapter. And we have Jesus and he comes to this pool, this pool of Bethesda. And at this pool of Bethesda, the angel of the Lord would come down and the angel would stir the water. When that took place, whoever stepped into the water first, whatever their ailment was, they were healed of it. And so within this, around this pool are all these porches, and within all these porches are all these people with all kinds of diseases and sicknesses and, and, and all sorts of things. And when the water stirred, whoever stepped in was healed. And so Jesus comes up on the scene. And the thing about Jesus is he brings a new standard. When you have Jesus in your life, all at once, there, there's, a, there's a new standard. All of a sudden, everything begins to change. Now listen to this. Gospel of John, fifth chapter, beginning in the second verse. And it says, now there, <clears throat> there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. And whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had had the infirmity for 38 years. 
been sick for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew already that he had already been in that condition a long time. And he said to them, do you want to be made well? Very simple question. You know, there are a lot of statements that are made in the Bible that are not really a question, they're a statement. Or if there is a question, you know, think about when a question is asked, you've got to interpret it rightly so that you give the right answer. And so Jesus comes and he gives the man a very simple question. Do you want to be made well? Well, pastor, how would you answer that? Well, I would answer it, yes. Seems pretty simple to me. But what does he respond? The sick man answers him, sir, I have no man to put me in the water when the water is stirred up. But while I come, another steps down before me. And so he has this discourse as to why he isn't well. Jesus just wants to know, do you want to be made well? The Bible says, by the stripes of Jesus, you have been healed. The point of that statement is not for you to argue with the statement. The point of the statement is not for you to discuss why that has not happened in your life. The point of the statement is, yes, Lord, I agree with that statement. That by the stripes of Jesus, I have been healed. Thank you. And so what does Jesus say? Well, thank God for his grace, mercy, and favor when we don't deserve it. Because he basically ignored him. And Jesus said to him, rise, take your bed and walk. But at least the guy had enough sense to respond. And immediately, the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. Why is Christianity so complicated? Because we make it complicated. I think it was Charles Capps that I heard make this statement. He says, you know, the Bible is so simple it takes a teacher to confuse you. Never a truer statement that's ever been made. Obviously, I'm for teaching. But you know, the teaching that we receive ought to be simplistic and the teaching that we receive ought to build faith and not destroy faith. The teaching that we hear ought to encourage and not discourage. The teaching that we hear ought to bring hope into our life and not leave us with a sense of hopelessness that there's, there's no way out of this. The Bible always brings hope. You know, I've gone and I've ministered to people that medical science has given up on. And people say, well, well, pastor, don't you feel like you're giving them false hope? No, I'm giving them hope. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
People, our lives evolve around hope. And if we just simply look at things as they are and say, it's never going to change, it's always going to be the same, what happens is we end up in this state of hopelessness. And we end up miserable. We end up the same as the world. Why? Because the world is without hope. Because the world is without Jesus. And Jesus is the hope of the world. Proverbs 14, 9 says, Fools mock sin, but among the upright there is favor. Fools mock sin. Fools mock what's going on. But we have favor because we have the favor of God because of what Jesus has done in our lives. The favor of God is prearranged. The thing about it is it's, it, it, it's not us trying to earn it or deserve it. It's for us recognizing what Jesus has done and believing it. That we, come, we become so persuaded that what Jesus has done is for me that we begin to have an expectation. Most people have an expectation of evil. They have an expectation that if things are going good, things are going to turn. It's going to get bad. But no, we're to have an expectation. And our expectation is things are good. But things are going to get gooder. Amen. We ought to have high expectations of what God wants to do in our lives. Most of us, we don't achieve because to achieve, it would have to be me. And I can't see myself being successful. And therefore, the thought of success, no, it won't happen because of who I am. See, we got to stop looking at who I am and we need to start looking at who he is and see what he's prepared for each and every one of us. Favor. It's a good thing. Our wives have favor. Amen. Our mothers have favor. You know, the Bible says that a man that finds a wife Finds a good thing. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But you know what that's talking about. It isn't just, well, it's good because I found a wife. No, it's somebody who finds a wife, a, a woman with the qualities of a wife. He's found a good thing. You know, <clears throat> I always think Proverbs 31 is such a, an interesting um, scripture, the last part of it, because it, it talks about the virtuous woman. But I always think what's so interesting about it is it talks about all the wonderful, magnificent things she does, but then it talks about how it's her husband that sits in the gate and gets all the credit for it. 
I happen to think that's kind of cool. <laughs> it reminds me of a few years ago, we did a, well, we did a mission uh, luncheon a couple of weeks, or last Saturday night, not this past Saturday, but the Saturday before, but this was several years ago. We did a, a mission fundraiser thing, and, and I think at the time, I was, I don't remember where I was, but I was out of the country when, when we had organized it and, and set it up and everybody went through it. And, and uh, one day I was, I was, I was out in my, my front yard and all of a sudden this, this car goes by and, and all of a sudden, <laughs> backs up and pulls down the alley. And, and so I walk over to the car and this, this woman's sitting in the car and she says, Pastor Dave, I just wanted to tell you what you do out there at Abundant Life is just so wonderful. Everything you do is just so wonderful. And last week I was invited to your mission, whatever it was that we did, and she said, it was so wonderful. You did such a magnificent job. And I said, thank you. I wasn't even in the country. And I said, thank you. <laughs> Becky, thank you. <laughs> but, but listen to this. And, and see, this is, this is important because, you know, in, in marriage and family, we're to be one. That's how we're to be in the church. And that's why when one is honored, when one is blessed, all of us are. And we no longer have to judge according to appearance and, a, a appearance and according to uh, ability or anything else. We're just blessed because we're part one of another. But listen to this, what it says, and I'm just going to read, jump around a little bit. Proverbs 31:10. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. You know, that's why I just, I don't buy Pastor Becky rubies because she just, they would, they would just look so insignificant in her presence. <laughs> that one worked. Verse 11. Hope this keeps getting good. The heart of the husband safely trusts her, so he will lack, have no lack of gain. Amen. 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. That's, that's the one I just think is so cool. You know, prior to that, it talks about how she just works her, excuse the expression, butt off. And the husband sits in the gate. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. 
Her children rise up and call her blessed. Kids, this is a key for you. Her husband, husbands, also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. How does this fit in? It's talking about favor. Do we recognize that we have favor with God? All of us have gone through struggles in life. I see that as being the pit. Just like Joseph started out in the pit, but he didn't stay there. We don't have to stay there. We can rise above it. We can stop dwelling on the, the things of the past that held us down, that held us back, that kept us from what we thought rising to the top. But the favor of God is upon our life. You know, in the very beginning, in Genesis 1, when it talks about male and female, how God created them, he said he gave them dominion. He has given us dominion. And when we have dominion and we recognize the favor of God in our life, all of those things that hold us back, that keep us down, they can't do it anymore because the greater one lives within us. Let's make this decision. Let's make the decision. We're not just going to survive, but we're going to thrive. And for us to thrive, that means that we have to put a little bit of effort into it. We can't just simply make the decision to try to maintain what we have. We wanna move forward. I wanna move forward in life. I don't wanna stay where I'm at. I wanna move forward. I wanna grow in my knowledge, my understanding of the things of God. Why? So that I can receive what he's made available to me. But you know what, if I don't know that it's mine, I'll never appropriate it for me, I'll never receive it for me. And everything around me wants to argue against it. Even so much of Christendom wants to argue against it. Let me tell you something, there is there is so much good, there is so much positive for us to dwell on in the things of God. We don't have to focus on the negative. We don't have to continually search for the things that we disagree with. Let's find the things that we agree with and be agreeable and move forward in those things, knowing that God is going to grant us the increase that we're going to experience the abundance that he's made available for each and every one of us. It's for his glory. Amen? Favor. Favor, not because of who we are, 
but because of who he is. Not because of what we do, but because of what he's done. And we stand upon that and walk in that and experience his blessing in our life. So Father, we thank you for the victory that's truly ours through Christ Jesus. We thank you, Father, that through your word, we come to an understanding of what you've truly provided for each and every one of us. And Father, we don't want to be ignorant of that. We want to be wise. We want to have understanding. And Lord, we know that that comes only through you. And so we thank you. We thank you on this Mother's Day for your goodness and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to continue our worship this morning by receiving Holy Communion together. And so if I can have the elders and the ushers come forward and begin to prepare the elements. In fact, you can begin to pass out the bread. If you're visiting with us today, um, we just extend to you an invitation to receive with us. If you've received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, you're part of our extended family. And so we invite you to receive communion with us. The elders are passing out the elements and when you receive the bread, you can either receive it right when you get it or wait till the end and we'll all uh, receive it together. But you know, the Bible says that on the night in which Jesus would, was betrayed, it talks about him taking the elements and receiving them. And the first element that he, he received, which is being passed out now, is the bread that represents his body. For it was his body, the body of Christ, that was broken for each and every one of us that we might, that we might behold. And in a sense, we, we see that in the world that we live in. We see a broken world. We see lives that are broken. Marriages, relationships, health, finances, so many areas where lives have been torn apart. But Jesus came and his body was torn apart so that our body might be made whole. That physically, emotionally, spiritually, in every area of our life, we might be whole, that we might be complete. And we find that in Jesus. You know, the Bible declares that by the stripes of Jesus, we've been healed. And so Jesus took those stripes upon his physical body so that your body and my body, that we might be whole. And so as we receive this bread that represents the body of Christ this morning, we're reminded that wholeness is available to us through the bro broken body of Jesus. He was our substitute. He took our place. And so the body of Christ, which has been broken for you, receive it in remembrance of him, the body of Christ. Now we're passing out the juice that 
represents the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Once again, the Bible says that where there is no shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And through the shed blood of Jesus, our sins were remitted. Our sins were completely washed away. They weren't just simply covered over. Our sins were washed away. Bible talks about how they were removed as far as the east is from the west, that they're never to be encountered again. And that's how it's to be in our lives. Those sins that were washed, that were covered through the blood of Jesus, we're not, we're not to live a life dwelling upon that, focusing upon that. It says that Jesus said to them, do this in remembrance of me. And so we do it in remembrance of Jesus, being reminded that his blood was shed so that our sins might be forgiven. It wasn't to be done in remembrance of how I failed, in remembrance of how I fell short. It was in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. And so as we receive communion, our focus is to be upon Jesus, upon his completed works, what he accomplished for each and every one of us. And so the blood of Christ, which has been shed for you, receive it in remembrance of him. Now, Father, we thank you for this time of celebration where we're reminded once again of the completed works of Jesus, how through his death, burial, and resurrection, the abundant life was made available to each and every one of us. And Father, we choose to walk in that abundant life. We choose to receive and accept what you've told us in your word. And so Father, today we thank you. We thank you for wholeness. We thank you for healing. We thank you for that abundance of provision that's been poured out for each and every one of us. And Father, we choose to follow you. Father, we want you to be demonstrated through our lives in everything that we say and in everything that we do. And so we choose you today. And so Father, as we go today, we thank you for your abundance. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for that peace, that joy that belongs to us through the graces of Christ Jesus. And Father, we ask you to lead and direct us that we might be vessels worthy, worthy to serve you. And Father, we ask it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. So as you go, go in his peace, in the glorious name of Jesus, and give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them. God bless. Have a great Mother's Day.